You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And good afternoon. I'm Abe Shapiro. And this is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, May 18th, 2022. Later in the program, WFHB News Director Cade Young speaks with Phil Schumann, Executive Director of Financial Wellness and Education at Indiana University, about the student debt crisis in the United States. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, teach your children on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. More following today's feature. But first, your local headlines. On May 9th at the Ellettsville Town Council, President of the Senior Housing Board, Jeff Bishop, asked the council to allow the Senior Citizens New Housing Development to pay the sewer hook-on fee they initially agreed to. Bishop explained that when they started construction, they did all of their permitting and got their quote for the hook-on fee, but due to supply chain issues, they are only now just setting up their water and realize that the cost has increased from what they originally had budgeted for. Town Manager and Utilities Operation Manager Mike Farmer explained to the council how hook-on fees are calculated. When we calculate a commercial, this is falls under commercial, a commercial um, uh, hook-on fee, it's based on equivalent dwelling units. And so uh, a normal house is $1,500. And so we calculate because how many rooms they have, uh, how many equivalent EDUs they have, and then it's times $1,500. So we calculated that back in 4-2021. Um, and uh, so I think there was a delay getting started on the project. I don't know the details, but at um, some point, the project started and they weren't hooked on to the sewer. They, you know, they they went through several months where hooking on to the sewer was not an issue or consideration. And uh, I finally got a I finally got a call from the people that are leading the way for uh, the senior housing project, and they wondered why they never got billed. And I said, Well, we don't bill. You just you sign up, and usually it's when you get your water and um, we never thought to, we don't bill you, you know, we just, when you want to hook on, then that's when we usually come at you for the money. So the, the, the amount was discussed and uh, relayed to Dennis. And I mean, it, it's, uh, it was originally $53,226. And so um, they've come hat in hand and said, hey, you know, uh, since, you know, since we were told what it was about and since nobody paid for it, I, I think there was a real bad communications between all parties. Uh, they've asked that we, we not insist that they pay the new $2,500 fee. 
um, per EDU. So that would raise it to $88,000 and some change. I'm sorry, I don't have it, but it's 88,000 plus. And so I, I, what they're asking for is to, um, for us to honor the original connection fee stated and um, move on. So, Council member Pamela Witten noted that they would be setting a precedent by approving this request and asked the council if they would be treating everyone else this way in the future. Farmers said that they should. Anybody that we give an estimate to prior to the uh, change in the amount, we honor that for 30 days and it says it on our, we give them an estimate. So um, we have a tiered process for installing water that allows the developer, construction, or individual to save money if they want to dig it themselves, and that's just put in the meter. Sometimes the developer has already stubbed the line in to the property, they get a different price. And so when they call us and say, hey, we want water at this uh, certain address, residential, well, we go out and give them an estimate, and that's good for 30 days, and when they come in and pay it, um, that, I mean, that's how we treat them. So. Um, I think there was a couple people that got caught unaware, they, they didn't realize, and they had not applied for a service, and so, you know, they got, they, they received, they'd already started their project, but a lot of times the residential builders, they'll wait till the last minute to put in their water and the house is built, so it's just, yeah, yeah, the answer is yes. The council approved the change to revert it to the original price unanimously. The next town council meeting will be held on May 23rd. In today's feature report, WFHB News Director Cade Young speaks with Phil Schumann, Executive Director of Financial Wellness and Education at Indiana University, about the student debt crisis in the United States. We turn now to that interview. Phil Schumann, Executive Director of Financial Wellness and Education at Indiana University. Welcome to the WFHB Local News. Thanks a lot. Thanks for being here. So first off, the Joe Biden administration campaigned on a plan to forgive at least some of the $1.6 trillion in student loan debt in the U.S. He's now facing pressure to follow through on that campaign promise. So first of all, would you just walk me through how we got here when it comes to student loan debt in the United States. I mean, man, do you have to go back to, I believe it was the Lyndon Johnson administration. So before my time, but back then it was a way to provide access to higher education for anybody that couldn't afford it. And so you had student loan debt that was part of it. You know, people took the money out in order to pay for school. Back then school wasn't as expensive. So it seemed like a pretty good way to go about things. And over the course of the years, like student loans, they've continued. And as as we all know, sort of schools have gotten more expensive over the course of time. And so those loans haven't been able to accommodate the cost of college as well as they once did. And so now students are having to take out more loans, both on the federal side and the private side of things in order to get their college degree, or I should say, in order to try and achieve their college degree. Because in some cases, unfortunately, people take out student debt 
and don't get their college degree. Absolutely. That you raised some good points and and talking about some of the history there. I, I appreciate it. Now, as I mentioned, $1.6 trillion. It's a lot uh, of debt there. So, you know, what can be done about this problem now? And I know Biden's talking about forgiving student loan debt. If he were to forgive at least some student loan debt, what are the number of ways that he could go about doing that? Yeah, so there. I mean, there are a few different ways. I mean, and I think the one that we're probably we're most familiar with is the idea that we could be taking like a certain amount of dollars away from student loans. So you know, there's. It, it, I think initially it was ten thousand dollars, and then fifty thousand dollars, and now we're back to ten thousand dollars, and you've got a whole other slattering of people that are just saying like all these different numbers in between. Some are calling for just all student loans to be forgiven, and then you know we've also heard about like. Tar- uh, targeting loan forgiveness in terms of income. And I think $125,000 household income is sort of the number that's being floated around right now that people that make that amount of money or less could have X number of dollars forgiven. You talked a little bit about federal versus private loans. When talking about federal versus private, what can be done, if anything, to forgive private loans? Unless there's, this is my opinion here, like unless there's just something that comes across from a like a government standpoint that says like we'll help the these organizations that have been uh, that have been responsible for the private loans help them cover the costs of these forgiven loans. I don't think anything can really happen on the private side of things unless those individual private entities decide we're going to forgive the loans. What we're pretty much talking about here on the loan forgiveness side of things is just for students who have taken out federal loans. And then it's going to be up to the private organizations to determine what they want to do on their end. Okay. Yeah. So that that could be a, a major hurdle for people who took out private loans. Now, um, let's get into the, into the politics of this, shall we? Oh, the fun part. <laughs> the fun part. So generally speaking, conservatives, now this is a broad stroke, right? There's always outliers. But generally speaking, conservatives see this issue as the blue collar class, mostly who did not attend college, funding the quote unquote elites for their decision to go to an expensive college of which they accrue debts, right? While liberals, generally speaking, see this as freeing young people from a setback in a tough economy they've inherited. Now, what are the pros and cons, politically speaking, for Joe Biden considering eliminating some student debt? I mean, the pro, obviously, and I think a lot of people know this now, is just that if you were to forget the the loan debts, like it's a gift to the people that, you know, took out college student debt. And, you know, it could be a $10,000 gift. It could be more than that. And if you feel so inclined, like, oh, I'm so thankful to you, Joe Biden, forgive me this, I'm going to give you my vote in return. I think that's sort of where a lot of things uh, or a lot of people think this is all going to fall. I sort of like I could understand that viewpoint, but I also know that there's a lot of other things happening in the world right now, aside from just student debt. So I don't know if it's just going to be a Uh, like just a trade-off. I will forgive loans, you give me vote. I think there's going to be a lot of things that happen here, but I can understand sort of like the the myopic view of that, of how it just, it looks like that's what's happening here. Absolutely. Now that that's kind of the pro. Now, what about the cons? Like what are the political ramifications if he decides to eliminate some student loan debt? I mean, I think, I think there's two pieces. Number one, it's just the I, I think it holds that like the conservative viewpoint of of liberals sort of holds there that this is what they're trying to do. They're just trying to give out uh, free money or whatever you want to say. And so that holds true. That gives them a little bit more of attacking points. I think the other piece and, you know, we're sort of seeing this right now in the economy 
is that, you know, if loans are forgiven, it puts more money back into the pockets of Americans. And I have to make sure I caveat by saying like, cool, like that's, that's, that's great. Like more people will have the ability to afford the things that they need on a regular basis, which is fantastic. However, if more money is in people's pockets, there's going to be more money that people can spend on things. And we're seeing this right now where inflation is higher than we have seen it in quite some time. And it's because people feel like they have more money in their pockets right now because the like student loan moratorium is a part of this. When we got the stimulus checks at the beginning um, and throughout the pandemic, that was another piece that was pumping more money back into the economy. And again, like that's not to say that those things were bad, but it's just it's the nature of, of the beast where all of this money caused inflation because of just the law of economics there. And so therefore, like if Biden were to forgive the loans, it's possible that the like our inflation will continue to go up. It may stay the same, but it's probably not going to go down. And so the political ramifications there are it could be that inflation gets worse and that would not go over well with a lot of people. Now, um, back to some history here. Now, you touched on this in the beginning, but I, I really want to to hit it on the nose here. So progressives say, you know, public college used to be free once upon a time or at least lower cost than it is now. Um, and over time, you see the, the cost of college increase over the years pretty exponentially. So why did the cost of college skyrocket over the past century, half century or so? Yeah. So I, I'll speak on my own personal opinion. Like in the, you know, some of it's opinion, some of it's fact within there, but I don't want it to be like coming out as accusatory. Like this is the reason why college has gotten so expensive. Mm. But I mean, like colleges have become sort of a world unto themselves at this point, right? Like if you come to Indiana University, which is where I work, like we have an entire ecosystem that, you know, is remarkable. And we've, we've joked about it before in our office before, like we're our own sort of like separate world. I mean, if you go up to the, like if you go up to the University of Notre Dame, literally they are their own town sort of embedded within South Bend. They have their own zip code, all of that kind of stuff. And it's you've be we've created these own little worlds that, you know, support students like they're their own, again, sort of ecosystem where we have ways to support students, not just academically, but also in how they're living and the services to get them like now we're talking like mental health needs and their physical needs and all of that kind of stuff. And with each thing you add on there, there's going to be an increase in cost. Um, so you've got that piece where just more, I would say almost more is demanded of each university to provide for their students to make sure that they're taken care of while they're in school. You've also got like for a public institution like Indiana University, like over the course of the last, I don't know, couple decades or so, like you've seen steady decreases in the amount of state funding that's been given to these institutions. Like, in, you know, in the past, like the amount of money that was given to each public university by the state was more than what it, what it is now. And so therefore, the universities have to offset the cost somehow. And the way to do that is to drive up more revenue, which means you have to drive up the cost of college in order to support that. So that's another piece behind it as well. And I mean, like, to me, that's like, that's sort of it. There's just this sort of interplay between those two things. And I, and I do think, and I, I don't know if this is part of the question here, but I think this is one of the things a lot of people have been talking about as it relates to loan forgiveness is, cool, we can forgive student loan forgiveness and that would be great. However, that doesn't solve the problem of rising tuition. Like, what can we do to prevent us from getting back here in another 10 to 20 years time? Absolutely. And I think that's a perfect segue into my next question is kind of the root of it. How does lowering the overall cost of college 
play into this conversation about eliminating student loan debt at the source? In other words, is there a way to solve the problem at the root of it rather than simply snipping off student loan debt? Yeah. So it it's going to have to take a reimagining of what higher education is. And that's not to say that like it's going to completely shift, you know, what we're accustomed to and things along those lines, but I do think we have to figure out like what is higher education? What what do we want higher education to be? I mean, we've seen some conversations about like different institutions going after like specific trades and not just like doing the, you know, the four we'll say the traditional four-year experience, although the word traditional is sort of becoming less used at this point. But I think that's one of the conversations, like, do we need to provide this holistic education or do we just want to say like, hey, you, you want to come in and you want to, I don't know, major in business, you want to get a business degree, something along those lines. Do these other courses, do they matter or is it just the business stuff that we need to focus on? I, I've heard that floated as a potential solution, but there are a lot of other ones. I mean, it could just be that like we get an increase in state support at this point or like we get the government feeling like an investment in education is important. But I also think we need to make sure as it relates to student loans, that we're also having honest conversations with people coming out of high school to figure out what it is they want to be doing. There was a good intention behind the idea of everybody should go to higher education. And I think the, it should be twisted a little bit just to say like, everybody who wants to go into higher education should be able to go to higher education. Anybody who wants to go into a trade school should be able to go into a trade school. And I think if we start having those conversations about making sure that people are going to the place where they're most interested and not feeling like college has to be the next step, that there are other avenues for them, I think that's also going to help out the student loan piece. You're listening to an interview with Phil Schumann, Executive Director of Financial Wellness and Education at Indiana University, about the student debt crisis in the United States here on the WFHB Local News. WFHB News Director Cade Young asks Schumann about the ins and outs of the debt crisis and what can be done to solve it. We turn now to the second part of the interview. Now, economically speaking, okay, you touched on this a little bit with inflation, but economically speaking, in your opinion, is this a smart move for the overall economy or, you know, what would be some of the economic implications of eliminating uh, some student loan debt? Yeah. So we talked about the, like, the economic impact in terms of, if you forgive it, inflation is likely to stay where it's at or go up a little bit more. So that's not great. But for you know the families who are disadvantaged by having student loan debt and again we're not necessarily talking about people with college degrees we're talking about people who started to get their college degree and then for whatever reason had to to back out of doing it they have a lot of student debt and right now their ability to move up in society in order to achieve some sort of economic prosperity might be hindered by the fact that they just have this quite honestly, like maybe marginal student loan balance. Like I think there was a stat where most of the people who defaulted on student loans, the dollar amount that they had was less than $10,000. It wasn't like all these people with exorbitant amounts of debt. It was people at the 10,000 or below level because they went to college, took out some student loans and couldn't finish. And if they had that loan balance forgiven, it sort of gives them a start over. It gives them a chance to sort of, you know, move themselves forward at that point, it doesn't negatively affect their credit, which would be awesome because then that allows them opportunity if they're making money to potentially, you know, apply to buy a house or a car or achieve some sort of way of getting an asset 
that could help increase their overall net worth. And so I think that would be a huge piece to the to the economy if we we're able to pull that off. And, you know, at that point, like at least to me, like inflation would just be what it is because it would be this forgiveness would support so many people in their ability to try and move up and again achieve economic prosperity. Okay. So as an expert in this field, given the opportunity, what would be the ideal solution in your mind for the student debt crisis we see ourselves in today? This is a really good question. I mean, what I do know is that I'm I'm in favor of forgiveness uh, to, to some extent. Um, as a person who had business school loans, as the spouse of somebody that had law school loans, and a little bit of undergraduate degree. And I, and I will say too, like we had some support on the undergraduate side from my parents. So it wasn't just completely us, but like the bulk of the $100,000 in student loan debt came from us. That feeling when we had, that feeling when we paid off those loans, the feeling when that balance went down to zero was one of the best feelings that I've had. And if you look on Twitter right now, you see people who've had like their loans forgiven through whatever means, public service loan forgiveness or just some, you know, authorization from the federal government. You see people celebrating that and feeling like they got their lives back. I want other people to have that feeling too. I don't care about the fact that I invested, you know, $100,000 or whatever of my money over the course of the years in order to pay off those loans. I would love people to have that experience and be able to have sort of like a similar life path that I've had or the life path that they want and not be hindered by student loans. How much I would forgive, I don't know, but I know I would be in the camp of forgiveness. And I think I would look at the at the debt of like of the people that have to, uh, the average default balance and the average undergraduate balance and all of that kind of stuff and figure out what is going to make the most sense here. And quite honestly, in my sense, again, I'm not giving like a specific answer, but I think I would be more lenient than strict on it just because I feel like that's probably where we are at at this point is just to be a little bit more forgiving on the side of things. I would like us to go back to being a little bit more empathetic to everybody's situation because I think over the course of the last couple of years, things have gotten a little little off. So that that's what I would say. And then too, on as part of that as well, really having conversations about how to fix like what we've got going on here. So that way, again, we don't come into this situation again in another 10 to 20 years. Those are all the questions I have prepared for you, Phil. But is there anything else you would like to add before we part ways? Maybe something I missed in my line of questioning or? I mean, the only thing I would say right now, like, because uh, a lot of the questions we get from students who come to our office and talk to us about the you know, their student loan situation is just sort of what to do right now. Like if, they're, if their loans are currently on pause because of the moratorium and the interest rate's not accruing, what I would tell people, you sort of have three options. Number one, if like if you're barely getting by and you need that extra money in order to help get you by on a monthly basis, just keep doing what you're doing. You know, we don't know necessarily when the moratorium is going to end. Um, you know, it keeps getting pushed back, but I think it keeps getting pushed back while the, the government figures out what exactly the solution is going to be know, on a, on a bigger scale. But if you have the ability to pay off your student loans right now, you could do that and you could put money towards it because it's never going to be cheaper than it is right now because there's no interest accumulating. So all the money you put towards it is going to go towards getting rid of those loans. It's not going to go towards any interest that's accumulating, which would be awesome. But if you're a person that's like, well, I think forgiveness is going to be part of this. What could I do? Take that money that you would be putting towards paying off those student loans and put it into savings or put it towards some sort of financial goal. Don't use it to sort of inflate your lifestyle or increase like increase your dependency on your income. 
Because what ends up happening is if, if loans get forgiven and you've put all this money into savings, all of a sudden you're in much better shape. And if for whatever reason loans don't get forgiven, well, you've put all this money into the savings account as though you were paying off the student loans and then you can just use it to pay off your student loans or pay off some of your student loans. So you wouldn't necessarily be behind the eight ball or whatever you want to say at that point. But the one thing that we're like, we really want to make sure of and the concern we have is that if, again, for whatever reason, loans don't get forgiven and the loans get turned back on, that all of a sudden people are going to be scrambling because they've been taking that however many dollars worth of payments over the course of the last couple of years and just using it to inflate their lifestyle. So we just want to make sure people are being careful with the money they have and make sure it's being put towards good use while, you know, while the situation is going on. Phil Schumann, Executive Director of Financial Wellness and Education at Indiana University. Thank you for coming on to the WFHP Local News. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Up next, teach your children on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. We turn to host and producer Richard Fish for more. Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. Have you got kids? And if you do, have they got computers? More and more children are spending more and more time online these days, and you know you're not standing over them every minute. It's up to you to teach them how to stay safe online and learn to spot all the fakes, scams, swindles, and con games. And it's your risk, too. If your computer or smartphone is connected to theirs, viruses and malware the kids pick up can find its way into your files. CyberScout, an information and identity security company, has some good ideas that make up an acronym. PAUSE. P-A-U-S-E. P stands for passwords. Make sure your kids use strong passwords and consider setting up a password manager for them, like LastPass or 1Password, so they only have to remember one. As always, two-factor identification is a plus if they can handle it. A stands for Ask a Parent. If they get an email or text message that wants them to click on a link, even if it looks like it comes from someone they know, they should ask you first. When kids start having accounts online, their identities can be stolen just like yours, and a predator could be masquerading as one of their friends. U stands for Updates. Make sure the programs on your kids' computers and smartphones are set to update automatically. Don't use the notify and let me choose when option. Kids are more likely to forget, and an out-of-date program gets riskier every day. 
S stands for secure. Teach your kids to always look for the HTTPS in a web address. The S means it's supposed to be a secure website. But even that isn't always true, so get in there and set up some parental controls on your kids' web browsers and other software. E stands for errors. Now you probably know to be suspicious of a text or email containing spelling errors or not using correct English, but do your children. Tell them about this, and if they're not sure, teach them how to look things up or just tell them to ask. P-A-U-S-E. Passwords, ask a parent, updates, secure, errors. It's a good start toward making your children aware of how many dangers there are when they go online. As Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young put it, Teach your children well Their children's hell Will slowly go by These days, kids need to know more than just looking both ways before crossing the street. They need to be safe roaming around in cyberspace. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at wfhb.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at wfhb.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information available online at www.mpisolarenergy.com.